Hello, everybody, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast, our weekly recording of the podcast. Now that you can watch it on our Facebook page live, as well as our YouTube channel. And you can also listen to us if you're listening to us right now on your favorite podcasts. Waze, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're all over the place. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, and our usual crew is here in its, all its glory. Uh, as always, we have Galley, no fancy jacket, just a fancy hoodie today. What's going on, man? I can't have a fancy jacket every day. But you can have fancy, well, not every day, I guess, but it is the season. You can have all kinds of gourds and pumpkins this time of year. And if you are listening to us on Spotify, just for this reason alone, you should definitely check out our video version to see Bickler's Gordon Pumpkin Collection for a little show and tell. Uh, I kind of referred to it before we went live as it is kind of a pathetic display, but it looks great. What's up, Paul? How's it going? It's pathetic, but it looks great. You know what? I'm just going to push through that kind of like slight and uh, say I'm doing good. The reason I brought these out, man, is because for you, because... I wanted you to know that, like, what better way to tie this all together than let you know I've been hanging out with your favorite Manchester City player, along with all this stuff. Look, it's Jesus Gabriel. <laughs> so we've been, you know, hanging out, just getting fouled together outside, um, looking for, you know, no obvious no calls. But, um, yeah, so we've been hanging out, complaining together. Um, but yeah, so, like, I just thought it'd be a nice way to tie things together, you know? That does really resemble him. I'll give you that. You know, that funny thing about him is I was going to mention this as I was watching the game, especially in the first half, he was the only one without a black band on his arm. And I was like, is this guy really that big of an asshole that he took that off? But to his defense, I don't know if he just got like ripped off or something because he did have it the second half. So I was about to find yet another reason to be disgusted by him. But nope, just the regular reasons are good enough. Well, we have a lot to get to as always. Um, Facebook was down all day, so it kind of has been a peaceful day. No uh, stupid post to deal with in, after the weekend's game. But let's start from the beginning of the week because I think it is going to kind of relate to what we talk about the City game. Uh, we'll touch up on the Porto game real quick. It did turn out to be a bit easier than normal, uh, or at least we thought of. I know we normally have a good time over there, but oh wait, wait, wait! I always forget this, and I always remember ah. it when I always remember it when I see Paul almost like slightly happy that we started talking about the games. But nope, we're not. We're going to. So anyway, about the starting session. lineup for Porto. <laughs> Our weekly trivia, as we all know, we're headed into uh, the favorite time of freaking year that we all hate and despise in an international break. And so it is an international break related question. Uh, slightly tricky. Let's see how you guys do on this one. Most international goals scored as a Liverpool player. Keyword here is as a Liverpool player as well. So that's something to consider. Who do you guys have as the top scorers in international football for their national team while playing for Liverpool? As always, we throw Paul under the bus first. Paul, what do you have? I don't know. No, like... <clears throat> I'm trying to think of like goal stores that have been in the side for a long time 
Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to go Mo Salah is the obvious one comes just because he's the most recent prolific goal scorer that's been with us for a while. Uh, I'm sure that's wrong. I'm sure it's somebody from like 30 years ago. But I'll go Mo Salah. I mean. What do you have, Galley? I have no clue is what I have to mention. <laughs> I have a move, and I think Paul will second that we get a new trivia connoisseur to come up with these questions. Maybe someone can start putting it into the comment section each session because you come up with harder and harder trivia questions each time. I, I will I will guess I, I don't even think he was ever good for Spain, but I'll just guess for Fernando Torres because I have no clue. Hmm. Nope, you guys are not even close. Uh, so we'll get back to that. Let's start with Porto first. Uh, it is going to hurt the number of comments and feedback we can get since uh, the Facebook thing is really preventing us from, like, you know, getting everybody online and stuff like that right now. I know I was struggling, so let's. So maybe you guys will think of it as we go. So Porto game, Galli, let's start with you on this one. What did you make of it? I know Bickler is very upset. <sighs> And we'll rant about that lineup, so I'll get to him a second on this one. Uh, what did you think of it? Obviously, the score was great, and it's exactly what we wanted. Uh, in terms of the lineup and stuff, what you expected what or what you hoped for? Uh, I expected more rotation. I, I mean, I think me and Paul were on the same side on that one. Um, and it, it had more to do with, with Sunday's match, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, as time goes on here in the show. I didn't love the idea of playing Joel Matzib three times in a week. I thought that playing Robertson three times in a week was also pushing your luck, uh, especially with the international breaks coming up. No rotation up front. Um, I really thought it was an opportunity. There were some real positives. Uh, once again, Curtis Jones played really well in Portugal midweek. I thought that was a real big key. And I thought James Milner put in a professional shift that he probably shouldn't have been asked to have to do. How about you, Paul? I know you were quite upset as we were watching the game in our Discord channel, which, by the way, not that I, we mention it, uh, sometime this week, hopefully, we'll be able to take some beta testers to our Discord fan channel where we can kind of have like live conversations during the game and stuff as well. I feel like we always talk about our Discord channel, so we're creating one for the fans as well so everybody can jump in and see Paul's crabbiness live in a game uh, format. So, Paul, I know you were extremely upset, probably out of all of us, in the fact that there was almost no rotation. What do you make of it? Rant I mean, away. let's just go to our let's just go to our guest today, Jesus. How do you feel when you play three times a week? <laughs> I mean, like I, I just don't I don't get it. Like I. It felt really reckless to me, and I get that we're kind of staring down the barrel of, like, Atletico back-to-back in Champions League, but I just felt like – I don't know, man. I think the City match was an important match. People brought up the fact that, like, oh, well, City didn't rotate much either, and it's like, well, A, they did rotate more than we did, and B, we didn't know that when Jurgen Klopp was filling out the lineup card. So, like, to me, like, it's just – Anyway, around it, I you know I feel like our midfield play versus City sort of justified my reaction midweek. Like I thought they looked tired. Like um, I just did not care for that lineup whatsoever, uh, and I stand by that. I don't think it was the right call, even though we won five one. 
I think, yeah, we were expecting, I mean, when we were kind of like speculating, we were throwing all kinds of names over there in terms of like who would be like rotated, who we would get to see and stuff like that. I mean, the front line, we said Taki and all that kind of stuff. And I think we said it mainly because it was Porto and we felt like it would be an easier matchup. And even more importantly, I think because of the game on the weekend, we kind of wanted everybody rested because we felt that was more important. Champions League, we could have kind of like made up for it. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like it kind of worked out. But I don't know if I would be as calm about it if we didn't have that leads and we kind of like kept these guys there for longer minutes. I felt like we were able to get some substitutions going very on club, like to do a bunch of substitutions in the 60th minute, 65th minute and stuff like that to be able to get some rotation going. But I guess my main concern was the center backs, you know, exposing them to three games and, you know, three of those games, like two tough games in the Premier League uh, with the Champions League. Especially for Joel, I I mean, Matip, we all know his health issues. I figure, like, you know, we will kind of keep him bubble-wrapped and use him when we need to. And even the City game, we saw how valuable he is with, you know, the ball on his feet in terms of, like, when we move forward and stuff like that. But, uh, so, does this change how we approach the Atletico games, you think, Gally? Well, I don't think it ever anything changes. I think he has 11 to 13 players tops that he's comfortable with. And that's about what he plays. And until somebody cracks that into that group, you know, Shamikas has played really well. He hasn't been great, but he's been serviceable and he couldn't get five minutes on the pitch in a week where they had to play three games in eight days. Knowing we're going into international breaks and Robo's about to play three matches in seven days. It just, I don't believe Jurgen Klopp believes in rotating his squad. And we've talked about it, and we can keep saying we need to buy players, and people will write articles, and people will make crazy posts about how he's angry with ownership and mad at Edwards for not signing more players. Unless you sell players, he doesn't want to buy players. He doesn't play the players he has. Yeah, I think he requires a certain level, like a, a comfort level, uh, with the player in terms of like the trust. I mean, even when we signed, you know, Fabinho and stuff like that, we made some big signings aside from like Van Dyke and obviously Ellison is a goalie, so it's a different ball game. But I can recall a lot of new players being inserted there um, until they practiced and he was confident that they got the system and stuff like that. What do you think, Paul? I mean, does this kind of change how we approach the Atletico games? Do we try to get, you know, certain points out of that so maybe we can actually rest people for the fifth or sixth games? I mean, I agree with Galley. Look what we did last year. We had an actual rubber match that didn't matter. Like, if we lost, it would not have mattered whatsoever. We put out a full lineup, full strongest 11. Jota gets hurt, like, for a substantial amount of time. Like, it just doesn't matter. And, like, Jurgen Klopp is, like, no doubt top three, arguably the best manager in the world. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't have, like, flaws. And to me, this is a major one. Like, the, the, the difference between us and City is that City has a larger roster, more quality and depth, but they also use it. And, like, that that's a major concern in, in, the, in modern football in general with the amount of fixtures that get packed in, right? I mean – 
it's just I don't know. It's frustrating. It's hard for me to watch because like I'm you know like I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. It feels like it's just a matter of time until the wheels come off in terms of injuries and and like we've just. I mean, these players we've ridden so hard for for a number of years. It's just it is worrying to me. So let me fight the other argument there because I don't know if it's is it like a chicken and egg thing because. You know, people who criticize, you know, the club FSG and, you know, like how we are like transfer business and stuff might argue that if he had that depth in terms of quality, maybe he would rotate more. But I get and I would tell you, I would tell you, why does he have 100 million pounds and midfielders sitting on the bench in the game? Then He bought these players. He's the one who didn't want to sell Ox when people talked about selling him in the summertime and wanted him to have his full season. You know, if they really wanted Kata out the door, they would have listened to offers for him in the offseason. I, I I just think he's one of these guys. He likes having a lot of – he likes having his core units, and then he likes being able to bring them to the level that he wants them at. And – he has a little bit of that, you know, from a steal and NFL standpoint, you know, players play. There's that mentality that like when a game comes, you play your best players and if they're ready to go, then they should play and fight. The rest of the players will fight their way into the squad. I just think that is something where with a little bit more rotation, we will see more out of his squad. And I just think he needs to do it. He needs to play these guys matches. He claims he needs five subs and he doesn't use them. He doesn't use the three he has. And I think that's why he's gotten actually like a lot of flack when he was fighting that, which I agree. I mean, I, you know, I, you follow other leagues and I think most other leagues at the moment have five subs and you can kind of see the Champions League. I think it lets you, I mean, it really helped us, for example, in this game, we were able to rotate some of the squad. And not to mention, I think it gives more tools to the manager in terms of changing the game's flow. You can make, bigger tactical changes because you can do multiple substitutions and you can change, you know, even if you're worried about an injury or something coming up afterwards, you can still change like three to four players earlier, earlier on and, you know, be able to like affect the game, if you will. Uh, so, but yeah, on the flip side of it, when you do not use them, even though you do have them, uh, that's why I was actually shocked and pleasantly surprised that we did make those substitutions in the Porto game and got those guys in there. I mean, obviously, it's a good result, and I don't know if he's a bigger believer. I don't know if the fact that okay, let me guys ask you guys this: Do you guys think the fact that there's an international break coming up factor into that decision? But like you said, Galley, some of our players are kind of like you know played into the ground uh, when they're away on international duty too. I understand the Matip angle if. You believe if, if Jurgen and the physio said, you know, we, we did the tests and he's not susceptible to any uh, overly susceptible to any muscle injuries right now. He looks good because, you know, he has two weeks off because he's not going to represent his country. I can understand that. The robo one made no sense to me whatsoever. Him playing three matches in eight days, knowing that Scotland will would play him 120 minutes a night if they could. And not only does he play every minute for Scotland, he wears the entire teams and country, you know, their passion on his sleeve as the captain. So for me, Robo made no sense playing all the match in all three matches. It just didn't make any sense. 
What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I agree, especially Costas and the center backs. The, defense, the back line was probably the one that I was kind of like, why? Why don't we use this opportunity to do some? And obviously, I mean, we're kind of nitpicking with the final score and everything, but we're kind of trying to look at the big picture so that if something happens down the road and we go back to saying, well, these guys play way too many games, this was an opportunity to kind of not do that. So do you think the international break has a is a factor in that, Paul? No, I mean, I don't really – I think Gally kind of nailed it. I mean, if if that was a factor, I think we'd see more rotation, not less. Um, I mean, we're a chock full of internationals, right? Like, the, I think it, if, if that was the case, we would have seen um, – we would have seen Rabo, you know, rotated out if that was the case. So, like, just based on who played and when, it doesn't make sense to me that that factored in at all. So, luckily, nobody gets hurt. Uh, we get a great result, uh, to, like six points out of two games, kind of like full speed ahead in the Champions League, kind of puts us in a good situation when we have two back-to-back games with like Atletico. So all things are on that front. We come back to the league, and this was kind of a crucial game. And I saw it online where, you know, if we win this, we win the title. If we don't win this kind of thing, I, I mean, it's too early for that, but it was definitely like a, you know, tone setter kind of a game. Bickler, how do you take a look at this City game now that it's over? It kind of felt – oh, well, let's see what you thought first, and then I'll kind of like give you guys my take at the end. It's interesting. I woke up feeling worse about it this morning than I did yesterday, which yesterday I was just kind of like uh, – I mean, it's disappointing because we led twice, right? But, I mean, it's a great City side. They definitely had us on the rope for large sections of that game. Uh, and so a draw, even though – even though we technically lost points there in the final 15 minutes of the game, like a draw felt fair in a way. Um, when, when I woke up this morning, I think like the thing I was thinking about on the way to work is like, I'm majorly concerned that city essentially just replicated what Brentford did by these long switches on an overloaded right side. And what we did is we had Hendo in a further, like in a more advanced position and Fabinho dropping into the back line essentially to have a more intense and a more supported press up front the first 15 minutes of that game. And you could really see it working. Like City was – like in the first 10 minutes, City was really having a hard time getting the ball out, making turnovers in dangerous areas. They just looked uncomfortable. And and they figured it out. They made a tactical adjustment. And the problem that I had is we didn't have an answer. We didn't make any sort of adjustment – they started pinging in balls from the midfield on the right side and through the deep mid through De Bruyne um, onto Foden uh, on an overloaded right side. And we had absolutely no answer. And it was the exact same thing we saw versus Brentford. And, and honestly, you know, there's a lot of talk about Milner and his lack of pace and his age and stuff. It wouldn't matter. First of all, sometimes in the game, you just have to tip your hat to quality. And, and Foden is a quality opponent. He's going to give a ton of teams, and he has given a ton of teams problems. He's a very talented kid. That would have happened no matter whether it was Trent or Milner. We would have been torched down that side, especially with Hendo not able to provide any support because he was so further up, so far pushed up the field. So I my unlucky we didn't win. The ball comes off Matip, and I think, like in my opinion, Allison had that covered. Uh, when you look at the replay, it looked like he would have gotten there had Matip not caught in that ball that, that went in off the De Bruyne shot. But I'm frustrated by the fact that there is yet a secondary – blueprint out to beat us for teams that want to play us open 
You know, one is let's stack eight in the box and make us break, you know, make us break them down. The other one is we're just going to open it up and we're going to thread these deep balls through the channel onto an overloaded right, overloaded right side, knowing that Trent's going to be pushed up. There's going to be a lack of support in it. And I think it worked because they figured out that Hendo was that far up the pitch, but concerned we didn't make an adjustment. And that's like, you know, that's, we talk about Klopp substitutions. We talk about his small squad. Um, you know, I remember when we used to have three or four formation changes in a match pretty fluidly, and, and we're not seeing that as much. I'm just a little bit worried. I'm a little bit frustrated that we didn't seem to have an answer. How about you, Gallon? Yeah, I'm with Paul. I mean, I, the first 15 minutes, I understood what they were doing with Hendo up high. Um, I I called for Bobby to start all week long, not because I don't think Jota or Mane deserve to play or have been playing well, but I thought Bobby would give you the high press and start the basically start the defense from the attack. And with that, then I don't think Henderson would have been needed to be as far up because Bobby would have naturally dropped further back, started the press deeper, and therefore Henderson could have played in his normal spot. I do think that uh, it was alarming seeing them attack the right-hand side the way they did. I don't know that Matzip helped himself a couple times either. I think that they were both a little sluggish, honestly, both center backs. I thought they were fine, but you could tell that they were getting caught up in the movement. They were getting lost with how quickly they were switching between, you know, between Grealish and Foden switching off in the false nine. And then they quickly realized around the 15 minute mark that there was no reason to bring Foden off the wing. Cause as long as his feet were on that, you know, touchline that, he was going to cause havoc. And I think that was the problem for me. Jordan doesn't drop back, doesn't help out. I thought Fabinho played one one of the poorer matches I've seen him play in a long time. He looked a little bit gassed out there. And I don't know if that was because he was being asked to do too much, but it didn't feel like he was actually dropping back and helping the back, the you know, forming that, that back three that we're used to seeing when we're in possession. And we chased the game. I mean, it was lucky that it wasn't 2-0 by halftime, to be honest. Um, and, you know, whether that was a penalty or not, you know, there's a lot of different things that you could question where that game could have went. But I think that getting a lead twice and not seeing them drop back into any form of stability, not trying to sit back and take on some of the pressure a little bit and maybe even hit them on the counter, almost showed a tactical ineptitude that they had no intention of switching. They were just going to go – you know, they were going to try to win 5-4 if they had to. And, you know, my heart can't take too many more 5-4s, and I don't think they need it. We're going to be a great team. We have to go back to sitting on a 1-0 win, no matter how good the quality of the opponent. Yeah, I mean, watching that first half, like you said, it kind of started good where they did not expect Handel to be there, knowing Trent would not be there. I mean, I don't think I, – I, I know I didn't expect Trent to be – I mean, Handel to be pushing up that high knowing there is no Trent. You kind of almost felt Handel would be sitting back a lot more to kind of cover for the loss of Trent and help out Milner. But then, yeah, watching that first half, the draw did not look like a bad score. That mogul deserved to be a winner like a game winner i wanted that to be and that was probably like one of the bigger disappointments and you know kind of like you know but says the the fab miss at the end that could have sealed the win but at the end of the day i mean if you think about it yes it is a fair result just the way that we did not get the win at the end 
is what it made it feel like almost like a loss or something like that. What that's the that's what made me feel like it was a two points two points loss as opposed to okay, this is good enough. At halftime, I would have taken the zero zero and just like moved on to the international break. I was more than happy with that. So let's talk about you know, and I, I agree that we did have after we got the lead, it was a bit more of a naive approach. Or it was kind of like, this is the way we have to play City kind of thing. Uh, and I don't know. That's why, you know, we went with that. So let's go back to Hendo and his position. Kind of like shocked to see. So this is his heat map uh, for the game. Um, kind of shocked to see that as well, Paul, that he started in that position as opposed to kind of uh, filling in for Trent and covering that area. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what I expected to see, and this is my first time seeing it, and it is shocking because it's very unlike, you know, what we've seen from him. The only thing I can think is that we thought, like, well, cool. Milner is not going to – he's not going to be on the overlap in the way, in the same way that Trent would. So with Milner playing a little bit more conservatively, we opted to have Hendo up there to help the press, right? And, and, and Ben's right, right? It worked for the 15 minutes, but City made an adjustment and we didn't, and that was the problem for me. Like – you know, I'm, I don't think necessarily we need to sit back necessarily on City, but like there's something to bleeding the game out, right? Through possession based, this, our whole side is at its best when we control games to the midfield. And that's where we lost it. We lost the midfield. We didn't control anything. And like, um, you know, I'm not saying that we needed to stack the box eight back and sit around and let, let City have possession. Quite the opposite. I think you can bleed a game out while you have the ball. Um, and that's what like I'd like to see us do. We got we had a little bit of an argument on this, Mitch, and you said that uh, we've done that before. And I said, when was the last time we've done that? And you said we've done it in lots of games. And that's not an answer for me. Like when? Like I can't remember the last time that we sat on a lead on a one goal game and bled a game out. I don't think this team's capable of doing it. See, I feel like we've done it a lot in the past. I can't, you know, I got to think of and give you specific games, but there were games where I felt like, or at least my heart, uh, my doctor felt like uh, we needed the second goal so I can kind of like lean back, but we kind of more focused on controlling the ball, kind of like moving it around, and we were content with that. Like we were not going to go gung-ho trying to get another goal, especially at home. And I kind of expected to see more of that, more of like the possession, you know, like keeping the ball, making them run around a little bit. Uh, they were not pressing up that high as like we were, and they do not normally. And I kind of was hoping we would take advantage of that and hang on to the ball a bit more. I mean, we had Gomez in there then afterwards too. I mean, we had people on defense that could kind of control the ball good on their feet. Ali was having a good game back there as well. I was kind of shocked to see that we did not play like that. I can only go back to kind of like what similar to what Ben is talking about uh, in terms of like, you know, sitting back with the lead. Uh, they would have picked us apart because that's how teams play them week in and week out and their players are so skilled and talented. And I do agree to that. But kind of like Paul is saying, there is a happy medium. We didn't have to just totally play defense and go on the counter. It was more about controlling the ball and making them run around a little bit as opposed to being so open and so much pressuring up top. 
uh, especially with like we were doing with Hendo and stuff like that. You could tell, I mean, the entire game, anybody who doesn't even follow the sport very closely or know the game very well could probably watch that game and be like, what is going on, on the right-hand side? They see, It feels like they're always open there. And it's just the fact that we did not adjust to that, especially after we took the lead and say, okay, now at least let's make sure we cover that area, even if that means pushing handle a bit further back and not pressing up that high or telling Mo to do that. I was kind of like mostly disappointed in that. And I don't know if it was, like I say, his thinking was, this is how we play City. And then if we can nick another goal, which we could have, obviously. I mean, we had some odd chances as well. You know, it was putting the game to bed that way as opposed to kind of what we were hoping for, I guess, more controlled. What do you think, Gally? You know, I'm not calling for them to put 11 guys behind the ball and have our striker back inside the 18-yard box, right? I'm talking about being a little bit more stable, trying to bleed the clock out in possession, hit on the counter. I'm still talking about attacking through our style of play. But we make this out like, oh, City would pick this off, right? We were playing our style of play for the entire first half, and City almost picked us off. So we made some adjustments just to make that happen playing going all out. Um, they didn't pick off Southampton when they drew nil-nil. They, you know, didn't score against Spurs. They struggled to really create opportunities against Chelsea. They have oppor- they have games where they play like world beaters and they put up four or five goals. And they have games where they play for 90 minutes and don't put a shot on target. And they looked that way against us. They were world beaters in the first half and had two shots on goal. So, I mean, for all that they create, how much do they really create? And I think that would be the argument if you were a City fan. As a Liverpool supporter, what bothered me was, was there was this naive approach, especially after the second goal, and it was from our midfield. I felt like our midfield at that moment had to realize they were getting run all over the pitch and they needed to take control of the game. And maybe that's Klopp making a substitution. Maybe that's just somebody putting their hand on the back of Curtis Jones' neck and making sure he realizes you can't shut off in, you know, the biggest moment of the match because he shuts off at the halfway mark and allows Foden to run past uh, Robo on the left-hand side. That's his man to follow back into the box when he sets up the second goal to De Bruyne. And Jones was caught in possession two or three times in the second half in tough spots on the pitch. Many times when he was one-on-one. And those are the type of items, those are the types of mistakes that they weren't making two years ago. So I guess to Paul's question, the last time I remember them bleeding out one-nothing wins was the was the title season. Because we all we did was win one goal games the title season. But we haven't done it since then. And they've kind of lost their way with that. Man, you guys are going to make me go into the archives and dig out some games. Because like I say, I just remember distinctly and maybe I, that's because i'm kind of trying to black out last season <laughs> and just going back to the season before but i mean like i say at home especially felt like we had a lot of what i would call like professional wins where we kind of like just like closed it out and you know gave him a set piece here and there but apart from that we kept the ball and you know we were, we're like we're just gonna ride this out for another 20 minutes over here kind of thing and just like finished off the game so at the end of the day with the first half, the second half, and all the calls. Uh, let's talk about that real quick, actually, speaking of calls. Milner. Is that a red? Paul. It's a red if the whistle 
is for the foul that Milner committed, but the whistle was for the foul that Henderson committed. And that's what somebody needs to tell Pat. So, I mean, tough luck, man. I remember company two footing Mo Salah on getting a yellow. So I don't feel too bad about it. Um, yeah, no, it was for the foul before Henderson. Yeah. We're like, if they called that on Milner, that's gotta be another yellow, but you know what? Bernard Silva should add a second yellow as well. So at least it was consistent. What do you think, Gally? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's questioning whether or not that foul by Milner, if called, would have been deemed a second yellow. All day long, it's a second yellow. It's a tactical foul. Um, there were a couple other ones. Uh, Diaz could have been called for a second yellow in the second half as well. He clearly got away with it because they knew they gave him the yellow in the first half. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just Pep. It's what Pep does. Pep whines, Pep cries, Pep makes it all about Pep. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that's what most supporters of other or supporters of other clubs say about Jurgen too. You know, you love him when he's in your technical area and he would drive you bleeping crazy if he's in anyone else's technical area. He's coaching against you. I love the man, but let's be real. There's those teammates that you want and those guys you want on your team. And if they were on any other team, you'd absolutely hate them. I'm not sure that uh, either of those managers in the opposite technical areas are uh, picking up too many fans from the other one's supporters groups. Probably not. In terms of the call, I mean, would we be really shocked if that was a second yellow and turned into a red? Probably not. It did look like, obviously, the handles was a foul. But it almost looked like he was playing advantage and that Milner did it. But in that case, you would kind of go back to the first foul. But I'll be honest, when it happened, I was kind of afraid it was going to turn into a red. But it was the same thing with Bernardo Silva. I thought that should have been a red, too. I thought that was even more clear, really, that it should have been a red. But uh, So at the end of the day, do you take that as a point gain, two points lost? Uh, what's your kind of like take on that, Paul? Oh man. I mean, to Jamie's point, it's a good point. We haven't, you know, we're complaining about stuff and we haven't been beat. My, you know, my thing is, is like, we can not be beat and still not win a title. You know, you could draw a year and that doesn't do you any good. Um, for this match, man, I don't, it's such a long season. Uh, it's weird for me because it doesn't feel like a point gained, but it doesn't really feel like points lost either. It just kind of is what it like. That's, that was my reaction after the game. It just is what it is. Right. I mean, that, it felt like a coin flip. Like, uh, it really felt like a coin flip. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess any time we have the opportunity to get three and we have a ball ricochet off a defender to the back of the net, I guess you can land that two points lost. So I can see where, where Boaz is getting that. Yelly, two points lost? Yeah, so I, I hate the two-point loss conversation. I understand why you have it because the whole – the we 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 get games that you absolutely steal right the death or right at the tail end of a match and and you get a win that you don't deserve or you know you sneak out a point and you can feel like ah oh, we stole a point today i've never loved the two points lost for the plain fact that they had to show up and play a match they played against one of the best teams in the world and i believe if you ratcheted out the 90 minutes they were outplayed on the whole over those 90 minutes on your home pitch. So, yes, you had a lead that you should have saw out. But at the same time, for the fact that you leave there with a point, though you were outplayed for 30 to 45 minutes, arguably 30 to 40 minutes in the first half, and a good 15 minutes down the stretch in the second half, 
and you still had a chance to steal all three points, in my opinion. That's what it would have been. If, if Fabinho smashes that ball in after having a lead twice, we would have felt like that was stolen. Like we stole three points the same way that Brentford felt like they stole a point the week before. So to me, it's probably a fair result based on the overall play. And we're going to have to be better when we play these top six if we're going to win this league and stop dropping points to lower-level teams. Yeah, this is a game that I, I can't recall a game like this in a long time where I just have, like, so many mixed feelings in terms of, you know, is it two points loss? Is it a point gain? Should I be happy? Should I be sad? Like I said, it just felt like Mo's goal deserved to be a winner of a game like that. I mean, I went crazy when the first goal went in, yelling and screaming, uh, the second one more like was like just shock and awe more than anything else watching that goal and it just really deserved to be the winner. And then you have like the fab miss and I felt like the goals we gave away were almost like too cheap, which, you know, any goal you give away for the most part on this is like a ridiculous shot. You're going to feel it's kind of like, you know, cheaply given away, but just like so many mixed feelings out of that game as a whole. It's not a bad score. It's just that, you know, we had two uh, against, you know, like top six, if you will, or what I who I consider to be our like title challenges with like City and Chelsea. We played them both at home and we had like in both of them felt like we had a chance to freaking, you know, grab the three points. One playing against 10 men and this one we just have in the lead. I think that's more of just like a damn it, man. We almost had it kind of feeling more than. That's where the disappointment, I think, at least to me, coming from. Um, so let's talk about Mo a little bit. So obviously that goal and his performance overall was great too. I mean, this guy is going to get paid and he should. Do You guys think FSG will pick up that tab? Paul. Well, I think there's a mister. I think you got to start at the beginning. I think there's a misunderstanding of how Mo is paid, right? We, we see $200,000 a week and we stack it up against the top 10 wages and, and it's like ninth or 10th, right? On base wages. We also have to understand that our contracts are mainly, are, are very, very heavy in bonus payment. Okay. Like there's a lot of bonuses thrown in, performance-based bonuses on there. Now, depending on who you believe, most people that are speculating on his contract that kind of know some stuff on the financial side, say that his bonus payouts almost doubled his base salary last year. So near nearly 400K on the year weekly is what it averaged out to be after his bonus payments went out. So for me, I don't think that he's going to be asking for as much more as a lot of people think he is. I think the $500,000 thing is a tabloid story, probably taken from the gutters of Southern Spain somewhere and made it into markup. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't really pay that much attention. Everyone's like, if he wants $500,000 a week, pay him. That's a different conversation. I'm not going to say that I disagree with that. I'm not going to say I agree with that because I think there's a lot of mitigating factors that have to do with the makeup of the team on how you deal with that. Um, so I guess I don't really have a definitive answer on that. To me, he's the best player in the world right now. Full stop. End of conversation. Best player, any position, full stop for me. Um, how that gets paid out, that's up to the big boys to decide. Um, if he doesn't get paid when he wants to get paid, there's going to be 
Like, I mean, there's going to be pitchforks out. Spirit of Shankly is going to be all over the place. People are going to be lighting stuff on fire in front of the stadium. The ownership team, is they're not idiots. They understand that. This will get worked out, in my opinion, in some way. I guess my other thing is, will he be happy with the same setup? Especially, you know, you got to figure this is going to be his last contract in terms of, you know, with the age and everything like that. I don't know if he would kind of like roll the dice on having this form that is getting him a lot more than, you know, his like regular, like, you know, regular salary thing. I just don't know if he would want to change his strategy and more play it safe and have some guaranteed because you know there will be other clubs who will offer that. Um, who are and maybe that's what happens. Financial trouble now, but what was that, Paul? Maybe that's what happens. Maybe he gets more guaranteed money and like the bonus stuff is is adjusted. And I, I mean, there's so many moving parts to that. Like, I, I just think I I, I think it's going to get worked out at some point. And Mo, uh, like to his credit doesn't seem like a guy that's going to go out there and need to make a financial statement. Like he's not a guy that needs to be the first million dollar player in the world to make it, make a point. I don't know. I get that sense too. Like he's not, but you never know with the agents and stuff like that, but you got to figure, I mean, this is kind of like where he made his name and you would think he would want to continue that. I mean, he's become a club legend and he can only like, kind of like add to it. What do you think, Gally? So if we're talking $350,000 a week, roughly, if that's the increase, which would be a fair increase, get him online with De Bruyne. He'll have some form of bonus structure in there. What are we talking? Outside of Chelsea United City, which he's not going to go to and we wouldn't allow him to leave to, right? What are we talking? Three clubs in the world? Madrid, Bayern, maybe PSG, maybe Juve if they get some money. There's nowhere for him to go, honestly. He's not going to go to Barcelona and be part of a rebuild and play with a bunch of teenagers who aren't going to win anything for four or five years. Maybe he ends up at PSG if he were to leave. Do you think he really wants to go play in 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 France and, and leave the energy here? As long as we have a winning product and he believes in the mission, I don't see why he doesn't re-up to at least see through as long as Klopp's here. And there's not a market for him. If you told me Madrid – might come calling and make him the next big Galactico, maybe. But I genuinely believe they're going to sign Mbappe and Holland in the next 12 to 18 months. And I don't think there's that much money in Madrid that they can just go spreading it around. And I think they've kind of made their bed there. And I think Mo knows this is where he's going to be. And he's just maximizing that money now. Yeah, I think the, that's a good point that the market is not the best right now. We know Madrid is after Mbappe. I mean, that's where the money is going to go. And he wants to go to Madrid, sounds like. And that's almost is becoming inevitable at this point as we come closer to it. Uh, Baja can't pay the electricity bill, so I don't know if they're going to be able to afford anybody. So they're not a threat. And like, you know, like Boaz is saying, PSG is kind of stacked, so I'm not sure about that. And this is probably an ideal scenario. And going back to what Paul is saying, he's more of like a family guy, so he's not one of those guys that's going to be after like the glamour of, you know, oh, I want to go to Paris or some shit like that. Uh, I just don't get that vibe from him. But So let's go to the other wing. And suddenly Sadio has been a huge polarizing figure because uh, he has not been his best. 
I mean, I, I think we'll all agree to that. He's still gotten his goals, especially this season, but obviously a lot of missed opportunities, some off games and stuff like that. Uh, what do you make of his performance, Gally? I Like I say, apart from some like really stupid posts that I see about other players, there was like an infamous one on the Liverpool US fan group about Fibinho, whoever the hell that is, uh, and stuff like that. But, uh, and you know, it's almost like going to have to get used to the certain level of stupidity that comes in social media and the lack of perspective and stuff like that. But I know a lot of people who have like followed this team and kind of like know the game have like kind of like conflicting concepts or like ideas of how Mane is doing. What is your take so far from what you've seen, including the city game? So I've been critical of his play as a whole since the start of this season. Um, I thought he had a good, um preseason camp i thought he looked lively in the preseason matches and i was really excited thought that the break would give him a recharge and we'd get back the old saudi i have not been um as impressed with him over this run of games i've felt that he has still been there looking for his goals and he's trying to create i just feel like he looks like a guy who's out of form and is thinking on the pitch and some of the instinctive movements that you would see from him and some of the link-up play that he's had, uh, I just don't think has been there. Now, could I also say that I think that Andy Robertson's form has been off this season and him coming down the flank, delivering balls, the overlapping runs, and I does that play into Mane's fluidity a little bit and how uh, many attacking returns we're getting from over there? I think it has. The other part is I think the guy on the right, has taken a step forward to a new level. It used to be Mo Mane, Mo Mane, right? It is now Mo Salah and everybody else. And that's not a knock. I believe that they're still world-class players, but I genuinely think it's getting harder and harder. And I think Mane sees it as two level guys. Remember the whole competition for the golden boot that year? I mean, does anyone ever think we'll have a, a period where there's a competition between the two of them for goal scoring again going forward and I think that if you ask me which of the front players I think I would see leave first I think it would probably be Mane um I don't think it'll happen at the end of this year I hope he still signs another deal because I think there's a lot of good football left in him but he just hasn't been good enough and he doesn't seem like he's all that up to challenge because anytime he comes out or he gets sat down, he gets even more upset about it and frustrated instead of taking it like he needs to improve his form. I think it's more of a, you know, him trying to get that confidence back and you kind of got to get that by being out there. And I think, you know, like Ben says, he made the perfect run for his goal and his finish was vintage in for money. And I agree to that because seeing something like that was like, that's him. That's Sadio. Like that's, was the guy that we want. And I feel like the more he does that, the more informed money is going to come back. And it's all about confidence. Cause like what you're saying, I mean, his whole game is more about instincts and, you know, just not thinking, just doing things that the opponent is not going to expect. And I mean, this is his, um, heat map for like, for example, the last game, I know like Paul, you were looking at it earlier. Uh, we were talking about this, but, um, what do you make of it, Paul? I mean, I I feel like we're slowly getting there, and these goals he's yeah. getting, 
this was a great finish. He said it's happened and stuff. I really don't care how it comes. It's just a matter of, you know, your foot touching the ball, seeing that go into the net is what kind of like builds confidence overall. Because before you know it, then you just crack another shot, crack another shot. And that's what makes Sadio the most dangerous, I think, the, like the fact that he is not predictable. Well, I think Sadi is a very interesting player right now just because of the divide online, in online opinion right now. Um, you know, you've got the people who are saying that, like, you know, he struggled this year, he's out of form, he doesn't look himself, which I agree with. And then you've got the people that are saying, well, joint, you know, for third, like, highest goal scorer in the Premier League's awesome for bad form. And I think that's a bit hypocritical. I think it's bad to say, like, you know – I, I think it's incorrect to tell people that like you're not looking at the full picture and then use just as goal scoring as your argument, right? Like I don't like to me that doesn't line up because I think Gally's right. If you watch his game, his game is is it's it's not what it used to be and it's not where it is. Interestingly enough, you know, Ben brings up a good point. Great run, great finish. To me, that's not what we've been missing from Mane. We haven't been like the goal thing isn't an issue for me. The fact that he's not scoring isn't an issue for me. Um I've been pretty critical of Curtis Jones lately, and everybody loves Cujo. I love Cujo. He's looked great offensively. I've been critical of him because this game, just like Brentford, there is a lot of defensive missed assignments that led to crosses coming into an overlettered right that causes problems. Well, guess what? Our friend in Knoxville, Chris Strain, made a really good point that I hadn't really thought about until today. Sadio isn't coming back and doing a lot of the dirty work in the midfield like he used to. If we look at vintage Sadio, he came back and did a ton of that grafting in the midfield with Genie, and they played these beautiful inner, you know, great triangle passing in the mids with the Rabo overlap, and like that was vintage Liverpool counterattacking football, right? And we haven't seen that this year. We were talking about how badly that left side has struggled, and for a while we thought it was, you know, we thought it was Rabo. You know, I was critical of Curtis Jones defending. I mean, I think I, I think that Chris is right. I think there is a huge part that's missing Sadio coming back and really grafting in the midfield. I think, yeah, that's part of it. And I know, like, you know, like Sparky Parky is saying he thinks Mane is unhappy, and that could be going back to what Galley is talking about in terms of having that one, 1.1, you know, like two guys that yeah. are really carrying the team with, you know, the Bobby in the middle, like serving the plates and they're just finishing. And it's just like with that trio really dangerous and stuff. It's kind of that dynamic has slightly changed, obviously with Jota in there. And what did you guys make with, of Bobby's performance, by the way, Gally? So, uh, you know, I, I didn't think he was bad. I, I, I thought he should have started, you know, that was my thing. I, I think when you come off the bench against Porto and you score a brace off the bench and, you're doing this year. He is doing everything he's being asked. He's getting less minutes than ever, and he's putting the ball in the back of the net and still creating goals. So when your expected goal volume is as high as Firmino's is right now, to get to Importo and know that you have had some of the best games of your career against Manchester City, whether you score or not, just from the way you play, the way you command the midfield, to not get that start to me must have been disheartening for him, but. The guy's always smiling, and he just comes on the pitch, and he looks like he's been there the whole time. Now, he had a couple opportunities where I felt like his touch let him down and opportunities where if it was just a little bit – you know, he had that one time where he tried to spring us on the break, and he tried to flick it around the side, and I think if he had gotten it past, I think it was De Bruyne cut it off in midfield. 
And then there was another time where Rodri sniffed out a ball. He tried to make a, a, a kind of a darting run that uh, Mane was making. He's Bobby. I, I, I don't, I think you know exactly what you get when Bobby Firmino walks on the pitch. The crowd goes crazy. Everyone's happy. And more importantly than anything, Jurgen Klopp's comfortable with how the match is going to go, which is why I was so shocked that he didn't start from the rip. And I feel like this is coming down to where Jurgen has to make a decision. One of these guys needs a little bit of a break, whether that's Mane, Jota. He's got to do something with one of them because you can't play all four of them, I don't think. I, I just don't think it works. It's an unbalanced midfield. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of see when one of the midfielders is almost like overly attacking, kind of like, you know, what we're talking with, like Hujo over there. It can kind of affect it defensively. I think a lot of people don't see that aspect of it, but it does. So let's go back and to our trivia. And while we have now that Facebook is kind of kicking in and we have some people like following us live, let me request the question again. No Googling honor code over here if you're like joining us live. Top international goal scored as a Liverpool player. Uh, so they would have to be part of Liverpool as they score those goals. Who has the most international goals while there are Liverpool players? Speaking of international goals, so we'll give some time for people to have a guess. Well, Anything... What era are we talking about here, Tamutu? What are we talking about? Say that again. What what, what era are we talking about? Any era, talking? man. I I go. Well, all I, over. I know that, but give me and Paul a clue. We clearly have no idea. Well, let's see if like the listeners have an idea. I kind of like giving up on you. You know guys. what? I don't have an idea. On. I don't have any idea why we do this every week. Just <laughs> embarrass us, Paul. Like this is this man. This is bullshit. I just like stumping you guys. That's why we have this segment, especially. Um, even the pumpkin over there is not too happy about it. So is that going to be the pumpkin's sure, yeah. face the internet, entire international break pretty much, Paul, for you? I'm thinking that I might change this. If I got enough money to get more pumpkins, we could just do different ones, you know? So anything to look forward to for you, Galia, during the national break? Oh, I'm sure. I'm just going to – by this time next week, I'll have a good 10, 15-minute rant after watching a couple of the United States men's national team games. I'm sure that they'll uh, they'll give me a reason or two to get angry. I don't know why anyone does that to themselves. Like, why would you watch the U.S. men's national team, like, ever? Like, maybe on accident during the World Cup, if we make one. If you're so, new to the podcast, Paul is not very big on the U.S. men's team. <laughs> to be fair, he's not really big on any national team, for that matter. It's just international soccer as a whole. I like, the, I like the I like the Euro Cup. I like the World Cup. I can appreciate watching that. I just can't appreciate anything that the men's national team has done ever in my lifetime. I think I find myself enjoying those more because I'm not as worried about injuries and stuff like that. Like when I watch games sure. now, obviously I'm going to watch Turkish national team. We have a new coach. Suddenly he has new players picked instead. I'm assuming somebody gave him a list and be like, hey, we haven't called these guys. The other guy didn't call them kind of thing. But anyhow, it sounded like something interesting to watch in terms of like what's going to change. But I feel like when I'm watching games now, you know, if there's a bunch of games on, I'm going to pick one. Let's say I'm going to pick Netherlands, right? I'm just going to watch it to make sure Van Dijk is not getting hurt. Or if I watch another game, I'm going to watch for that player and their performance. But bigger part of me is just like waiting for him not to get injured more than anything else. I feel like when we watch the Euros and when you watch the World Cup, since they're not going to come right back to Liverpool, 
there's a bit more of like an ease of just watching the game and enjoying the football and stuff like that without worrying about injuries and all that kind of stuff, at least for me. So we have Steven Gerrard as a guest. Um, but we have actually you guys had two players you could have guessed from and could not get one. One of them is our freaking friend Michael Owen with 26 goals for England. And the other one also has 26 goals. Somewhere around the same area. It's an era that we watched. If you're older, you definitely watched. Come on. There's another name out there. Give a guess. Give a guess, Paul. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. That's not a good guess. Gal, you give a guess. Ask the Gord. Maybe the Gord will have a guess for you. Dude, next week you're on this end of trivia. Galley's <laughs> doing trivia. Yeah, so this is like this is serious. I'm tired of the know. condescension and the arrogance on your end. I did think about flipping the script and just calling a timeout right in the middle of trivia and being yeah. like, and this is not the question for this week. And just to me, to me, things because we don't have the trivia graphic, we can't do it. <laughs> Here, let me throw it back up there for you. I can just like show it off. So the other one is Ian Rush. I said Rushy, but you didn't hear me. Oh, I didn't. 26 for Wales, obviously. So they're tied in terms of scoring. Um, most international caps while we're at it? Stevie G? Yes. Stevie G with 114. That was going to be my initial question, but I felt like that was going to be uh, too obvious. So I figured I'd give you guys one that's... A bit yeah, we've quickier. we've really been killing trivia lately, so I'm glad you went with a more difficult. Yeah, question. yeah, I am too. Yeah, glad you didn't throw out one of the the layup for us. You know, one of the uh, just show up achievement awards like that. It's really why I do this pod, just the feel good moment of my week. Let's just come for trivia and call it good. <laughs> man, so a lot of like bitterness I sense. Hey, man, study up. You know, international break is coming up. Go through all the. Don't even know what to study. We don't even know what the question's gonna be. So next week, Monday, we'll be able to kind of like take a look at more about like the week coming up and what the changes. Hopefully, we will not be any talking about anything too significant uh, for like in terms of like the roster and stuff. And we will be getting some guys back. So we'll kind of like talk a lot more about that. Any parting thoughts, Gally? Nah, just guys wrap them up in, you know, cotton and wool and come back safe and healthy and ready to go and we got to uh, hit the ground running coming out of here. We have winnable matches. We got to pick up some points for the next four or five matches. How about you, Paul? I got nothing, man. I'm going to watch. Jesus is hurt already. Look at him. He is hurt. That does, yeah. If he was here, I would be smashing it because I can't stand that guy because it looks eerily like Jesus's <laughs> whiny face. <laughs> so that would definitely be smash if I saw that. Meanwhile, I'll be heading to Vegas tomorrow, but I will not be sharing that, obviously, because it stays there. Uh, have some fun over there. Maybe watch. I don't think international games are going to be there while I'm there, so I'll be coming back for the international mess over here. Well, thank you all, gentlemen. We'll be here again next Monday, same time, 7 Central. Thanks to all those for listening and commenting. See you guys all next week.